Hello and welcome to the College Football Winning Edge Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and Nicholas Ian Allen is at CFB Winning Edge, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Nick, uh, this weekend, pretty damn good, right? Yeah, it was a great week. Uh, some, some fun games. Uh, we saw... The number one team in the nation get taken to the wire, uh, which is always exciting. A couple of uh, upsets and some other uh, nice finishes, but I think you're probably alluding to we had a nice bounce back week as far as our projections and final score predictions, uh, which which finally felt good. You guys had to talk me off the ledge a little bit last week, but uh, <laughs> we we bounced back and and uh, excited. We're not we're not going to close up shop. As as I thought we might uh, this time last week, we're we're moving forward and and excited about uh, the uh, the rest of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, Xavier, how was your weekend? I can't complain. Uh, Georgia didn't play. Neither did Georgia State. So uh, wasn't really rooting for anybody. Just kind of watching games, um, and really was focusing on the top ten teams and how they played, uh, regardless of who they played. Um, I took a lot away from. Alabama this weekend. Um, I took a lot away from Oklahoma this weekend, and especially Wisconsin in the Northwestern game. And the game that surprised me the most was Texas A&M versus Arkansas. Uh, that game was more of a nail biter than I thought it would be. So yeah, yeah. It, it really seems like uh, Arkansas had the home field advantage uh, in the Jerry world, right? But this was almost. If I'm not mistaken, eerily similar to last year's performance from both teams as well. Or if I'm not mistaken, that game was close too. So it almost feels like Arkansas, to an extent, they haven't been able to get over the hump either the last two years. But it almost feels like they have A and M's number to an extent. Nick, what, they what played was, them close for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, what was your takeaway from the weekend outside of uh, putting together uh, very good win losses? Uh, well, uh, it's it's. I don't have any concrete takeaways. <laughs> no, I, Michigan I, is back. No, no, I'm, I'm still, I'm very much, I guess, just always in, in wait and see <laughs> mode. Uh, probably, I guess the biggest, the biggest thing that jumps to mind first is Ohio State looks really, really, really good. Phenomenal. We're going to talk a little bit about them later on, uh, but I've, I've been a little surprised at how complete they look. I thought there might be. A few more growing pains with the switch from Urban Meyer, who's an all-time great, you know, love him or hate him, he he is an all-time great Hall of Fame level head coach. And when you move from that to a first-time head coach, regardless of whether he got his feet wet a little bit uh, last year and, and, you know, getting promoted from within the staff, there is some uh, continuity there. Even with those caveats, I was... Uh, surprised to see the transition be so smooth. And then you throw in the fact that you've got a, a, a new first-time starter at quarterback. You know, I, I definitely didn't see uh, the Buckeyes come out and looking like a legitimate, you know, number one team in the country. And, and so far, they've played like the number one team in the country. So that's been a little bit of a surprise that they were able to go in and just dominate Nebraska on the road like they did. Um, it was It was not a shock that Ohio State is good. It's just a bit of a surprise at how good they look, and they look like a legitimate national title contender. Yeah, Nebraska, I mean, uh, you know, 
the environment was great. They had Gabrielle Union on uh, college uh, game day uh, to start the day. Uh, the crowd yeah, how many was people pumped up. from Nebraska. I know, man. Like how many? <laughs> how many famous people are from Nebraska? It's Nebraska, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not a highly populated state. I mean, there's a lot of people that live there, of course, but it's just strange. I guess it's because, like, if you live anywhere close to, uh, you know, anywhere close to Nebraska. That's all they have there. You know, they don't have pro sports. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but, you know, they, they, they don't have a uh, they don't have any of the professional sports there. That's the big draw is the yeah. Cornhuskers. So um, absolutely. And people say that sort of thing about like Alabama and, and other right. places in the, in the deep south that that's, you know, there, there aren't pro sports. That's why people are so rabid. But in Nebraska, it goes sort of the, the next level almost because not only are there not pro sports, but uh, there's not the state's not divided. You know, there's no right. Nebraska state or Omaha College of whatever. It, it's it's Nebraska. I they're, swear, they're Nick, for a second, stage. I thought you were going to say there's also nothing to do there. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's obviously. I, I I have not uh, had the pleasure, unfortunately, of, of going to Nebraska. I have spent some time at the Denver airport, which feels like it's uh, in Nebraska. I don't know if you guys have ever spent time there. But uh, uh, funny, funny story. I often mention I move a lot, right? right. And uh, this time last year, my wife and I were uh, told that we were going to move to Denver. Uh, we were living in Michigan. We were living in, in uh, Lansing, Michigan, and we're told, all right, we, we need to be in Denver next week. So we get ready, uh, pack up our stuff, and uh, we're, we're driving west. We have plans to spend the night in Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, we're uh, driving along for a few hours. We're in the uh, Chicagoland area and get a phone call and say, oh, on second thought, we actually need you to move to Nashville, Tennessee. So we were... <laughs> We were in the car on the way, uh, driving to Nebraska. We're told, nope, turn left, turn south. <laughs> and uh, so so I was, my, my one trip to Nebraska uh, was thwarted because I was told not to move to Denver, but instead to move to uh, Nashville. So. <laughs> well, I mean, this, such is, uh, life is hard when you're in the witness protection program and <laughs> you have to move so much. But, <laughs> You know, uh, I guess that's just the way it goes. But uh, it's it's a cost benefit. <laughs> oh, hey, look, wherever they can't find you is is the most important <laughs> thing here. But let's uh, let's take a look at what we did last week because the games we went over were, um, you know, very very uh, fun games to watch this weekend. First of all, well, I mean, I don't know if the first one was fun. It was if you're a Penn State fan. But we took a look at the Penn State Maryland game. And it's funny because I was um, I was driving somewhere on Friday night and uh, I put on the solid verbal. Right. And uh, I was listening to that podcast and I'm hearing them say, I don't think this is going to be a Penn State domination game. And I mm. look and it's you know, it's just one of those things. You just get the, the call wrong, of course. I mean, we've all done it. But uh, I, I, I I'm 
listening to that and then watching the score pop up with another touchdown for Penn State. And the reason I wasn't listening to the Penn State game was because why the hell would I when it was 31 zip or whatever it was at that <laughs> point? So I was like, I'll put on a podcast or something. I can't listen to this beat down. But uh, it was surprising to see, even though Penn State's a good team, they're ranked 12th, you know, um, to see them put such a smackdown on Maryland because Maryland has been good this year. Yeah, and I think we all said it last week that we just weren't sure what to make of Maryland because they've looked so good uh, in two games and they've looked uh, pretty bad the the rest of the time. And so uh, they've they've been a difficult team to really get a grasp on. And Penn State was sort of the same way. They they looked shaky in the first half against Buffalo. They really hadn't uh, played anybody that we would consider a, a really tough opponent. And so you know, I, I don't blame people for thinking that Maryland had a real opportunity to to pull off an upset because we have seen them look so good. It was a you know Friday night. That's always kind of weird. Uh, they seem to really be hyping it up uh, there locally. But by the end of the game, I mean the the Penn State fans outnumbered Maryland fans, <laughs> you know, fifty nine <laughs> to one instead of fifty nine to nothing. I would say. Um, so it, it was complete dominance. Penn State looked great. Um, but still, you know, because we have these unknowns with Maryland, can we really uh, put a lot of stock into this? Is this who Penn State is? I, I still am not sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say this yeah. is who Penn State is. You know, I, I would say Maryland nah. just kind of gave up halfway through this game. Right, Xavier? I think that this game was a complete misnomer. I have no idea what Maryland thought that they were going to do, but it just didn't happen. Um, I think there's somewhere between this game and the Pittsburgh game. Uh, I think so. We we have to take this game with a grain of salt, just how we took the Maryland beatdown of Syracuse kind of with a grain of salt at the same time. Because um, I don't think either one of these teams showed exactly who they are on Saturday. So... Then we went to uh, the Baylor and Iowa State game. We had it Baylor in a tight one, and guess what? Baylor won in a tight one. So, Nick, what did you pull away from that one? Well, they uh, <laughs> things uh, looked pretty good early on. I mean, it was a, it was a tight, low-scoring game. Uh, I, I saw a little bit of this. Uh, it was on one of my screens, and, and I heard the announcers at, at one point talk about that it felt like it was 118 degrees or something on the uh, Iowa State sideline, where on the Baylor sideline, because there's more shade there, it was a cool like 101 or something. So uh, these teams understandably came out and just weren't really able to get going offensively. Uh, was was tight early. Baylor just sort of started to inch ahead, inch ahead, built a 20 to nothing lead. And then all of a sudden, here comes Iowa State. They actually go ahead. Uh, but Baylor was able to, to get a, a last-minute field goal for the win and, and uh, a good sign for uh, our numbers. This was great to see because last week uh, we had five games in which our uh, numbers saw the, the favored team different than Las Vegas. And we actually went 5-0 and in those games with this being one of them. So uh, great, great to see from that standpoint. Uh, that's a really good sign moving forward. Xavier, do you get, you get to watch any of that one? For me, well, well one, I'm, I was 0-2 uh, last week so far uh, voting against you guys. So that, that's, you know, that, that's new for me. That was a new feeling. But more than, you know, more than, more than anything, Iowa State just didn't get started. Um, 
it was one of those weird games where Iowa State still had an opportunity going into the fourth quarter to make the game theirs. And they literally tried everything, putting up 21 points in the fourth. But, you know, by that time, it was too little too late. Um, I expected more out of uh, Purdy. And he did, he didn't come to play for three quarters. And you can't leave it to the fourth to try to, you know, put it all together. UNC fans know that all too well. And now Iowa State fans do as well. Um, for Baylor, they're 4-0. and So I think that that's something you can look at maybe, you know, as a, you know, maybe a look to the future to see how long they can keep this going. Um, you know, they have Kansas State next and Texas Tech. Um, and then they play Oklahoma State on the 19th of this month. And uh, that could be a ranked versus ranked matchup if they were able to win the next two games. Um, with Baylor having an opportunity to obviously have a staple win in that game. Uh, so Baylor's a team to kind of watch out for in the Big 12. I'm not suggesting that they're better than Texas or Oklahoma. Uh, but maybe that third best team right around with Oklahoma State, they may be there. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Brock Purdy seems to be the Maryland of quarterbacks, right? Uh, <laughs> he's kind of he's up, he's down. We don't know where he's going to end up uh, on a game to game. Absolutely. So, uh, moving on here to Wake Forest and Boston College. Uh, this one a little bit tighter than we projected it to be. Wake Forest wins twenty seven twenty four. Nick. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised. I thought this game would be higher scoring. I mean, obviously we uh, had it. 38-30, and I think that was even below uh, the Vegas total when we were talking this time last week. So surprised that that each team, you know, was just in the 20s, and Wake Forest didn't look as sharp offensively uh, as they had. Boston College had some opportunities to win this game, and and some might say maybe they should have, but you know, Wake Forest was able to to get out of there with a win, and and anytime you uh, are able to move to five and zero. Oh. I mean, it's nothing to complain about. And uh, the Demon Deacons, you know, they found a way to win, and and they look like a legitimate threat uh, to to put up eight, nine. Who knows? You know, they're the the wins are there this year. They they could have a special season for for that program. Did you get to see any of this one, Xavier? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, Jamie Newman is a very dark, 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 dark horse for the Heisman. Um, I think when you're putting up 243 yards passing, 102 yards rushing, um, and your team's 5-0 and in the ACC um, with a big game coming up in two weeks against a Florida State team that looks like it's right the ship a little bit, I think that he has an opportunity here, like Nick said, to give Wake Forest its best season in a very long time. But on top of that, really bolster his chances at winning the Heisman. Um, if they were to go and beat Florida State and run the table – and meet uh, Clemson on the 16th of November, both undefeated. I think that that would be the game for him to kind of, uh, you know, maybe propel himself. I'm not saying he would win the Heisman. Like I said, a very dark horse candidate at this point. But he's somebody I love watching play. Uh, he's physical. He also can step back and throw the football, which I love a dual threat quarterback who can do both. He doesn't mind making the hustle plays, like blocking for his running back at times. I really like this Wake Forest team. Like I said, I think that. We might have an actual undefeated undefeated uh, matchup come the 16th of November if Wake Forest can get past a uh, you know a very tough Florida State team. In I two think weeks. he would have to be like a dark unicorn to win the, uh, <laughs> win the Heisman. Like he would have to be a mythical creature. Like uh, you know Wake Forest would have to go completely undefeated. I mean, look, the Heisman race is very interesting this year. I think it's going to be a fun one all the way down to the stretch. I don't know that. Uh, Jamie Newman's going to be in it. I, I think that he is underappreciated. Absolutely. Yes. I don't, I, 
I don't know that he's a candidate for the Heisman, but uh, I, I I like that you're pushing it. You know, you know, hey, look, yeah, I, I I love his game. So North Texas know. was pushing Mason Fine before the year, and you're pushing Jamie Newman. <laughs> I like it. So our buddy Justin Heisey. Uh, over on CFF on campus was a huge Jamie Newman advocate before the season. So you guys can band together to start the, you know, hashtag Newman for Heisman after they beat Sir, State. Let's get, let's, so, get, let's get it going. Let's get it going. Get it rolling. That, right. Uh, I picked a really stupid game here in uh, Cincinnati <laughs> at Marshall. I thought this game was going to be close. I uh, wasn't really sure what we had seen from Cincinnati yet to think that they were uh, going to play well. And Desmond Ritter went out and threw – Four touchdowns look great against Marshall's defense, but Nick, you kind of you kind of leveled me out on this game anyway because I thought this is going to be a fun, low-scoring game. It was low-scoring for Marshall, but uh, you know, you you talked about how Marshall was kind of banged up on defense, and uh, mm-hmm. they sure showed it in this one. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to uh, watch any of this game live. By time it was under consideration, you know, am I going to, am I going to find a spot for it? Why uh, would you? Yeah. <laughs> Cincinnati was up like 28 to nothing <laughs> or something already. So, uh, decided to pass. Uh, but yeah, we, we were, uh, right that, that it appeared to have an opportunity to be a higher scoring game than expected. I, I certainly did not expect Cincinnati to, to hit the over on their own. Uh, did not see 52 points coming by any stretch, but, um, you know, Cincinnati entered that game healthier on offense than they had been in several weeks. And Marshall, as you mentioned, had been banged up on defense and, and just sort of the way it, it turned out obviously was, was a much bigger mismatch than we expected. Um, but, uh, good sign for Cincinnati moving forward. Uh, they, they really picked up some momentum heading into, uh, what could be a, a, a sneaky good, Friday night matchup with UCF. They're hosting the Knights this week, have an opportunity to take control of the uh, AAC East uh, with a win. So uh, they're they're definitely playing good football at the right time there at Cincinnati. Yeah, Xavier, I'm not even going to bother you with that game. Uh, how about <laughs> uh, how about this? How about <laughs> how about CFB winning edge picking the Notre Dame game to be 35 to 20? as a Notre Dame victory over Virginia. And the final score of this game, 35-20. Perfect. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff, Nick, you should be posting this all over every single type of social media right here. 35-20, you nailed this score. Um, I mean, talk about what you saw in this game. And, uh, you know, maybe people should be picking more Notre Dame and Virginia games for CFB Winning Edge and how they score. Uh, well, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So, uh, it it was good to see that (laughs) too modest. (laughs) I mean, you know, we're we're picking one correct, uh, final score for, for the season is, is not, uh, earth shattering. I mean, it happens from time to time, but, uh, what was, what was really good to see if you're a Notre Dame fan was, uh, how much the pass rush showed up that had been an issue in the first few weeks of the season uh but they were getting after bryce perkins every single down it seemed like i mean he took a lot of big hits a couple of sack fumbles that set up two uh easy scores for notre dame one of which uh the the defender 
took it back to about the 10 yard line. Um, and then they were able to punch it in on offense really quick. And then another, they just took to the house. So, uh, that was, was a good sign if, if you're Notre Dame. Um, but on the other hand, is it actually because, you know, this, this, uh, 35 points maybe is a, a little inflated because you could credit at least seven to the defense and really uh, closer to, to, to full score. So uh, offensively, they've got a little work to do, but ran the football better than they had at times and, and uh, really got after the quarterback was good to see. And, and yeah, you know, <laughs> we picked the final score. We're, we're Nostradamus. So <laughs> right, exactly. Get your crystal ball. It's going to be the CFB winning edge tarot cards coming up pretty soon here. <laughs> Um, <laughs> buy the merch. Buy it. <laughs> Call me now for a college fantasy football reading. Um, what, do you, what do you think about this uh, Virginia Notre Dame game? And I can't remember who you picked in this one, Xavier. Did you pick Virginia or did you go with Notre Dame? I picked Notre Dame because I didn't trust Virginia's offensive line. Yeah. Um, um, in this game, the thing I would take away from Notre Dame is they finally stopped the run. Uh, they held Notre Dame, uh, held Virginia, excuse me, to only 34 yards of rushing. That's before you take into account sacks. If you take into account sacks, they held them to three yards of rushing. So um, that's just a, that's just an impressive day by their defensive line. And really came out with negative yards was uh, that's very yeah, impressive. Negative 29 yards on 16 carries. That is very impressive for them. Um, it's something that they can hold their hat on going forward. Obviously, they have Bowling Green this. Week, so a little bit of a reprieve uh, from the daunting schedule that they'll have after that. I think they play USC right after that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Virginia, they did exactly what I thought they'd do. Um, it was a tale of two halves. Um, their offense is predicated on how far Bryce Perkins can take them, but he can't do anything if he's always on his butt. And he was on his butt for the prim- primary part of this game, especially the second half. Um, and Notre Dame dominated that second half. It was all Irish. Uh, except for the one field goal that UVA hit. And it was kind of weird because UVA started off the half with an onside kick recovery, and you almost thought, okay, here we go. Virginia might be able to upset and win this ballgame. So. That, that, I'm glad you brought that up. That play, uh, we used to call it kick pass. So uh, obviously that, that play had been uh, something that Virginia worked on all week. Yeah. Uh, they might have been working on it all year. Who knows? But uh, I think it was number 12 up there on the front line for Notre Dame was just bailing immediately. And obviously somebody up in the booth was, was watching that in the first half and said, all right, you know, he's leaving, he's leaving, he's not even looking. And Virginia was able to, to call that, uh, to open the second half. It was wide open because number 12 just bailed out of there, took his eyes off uh, the kicker immediately trying to get back for his block. It was beautifully done. Uh, I love kick pass. We used to run it uh, two or three times a year and, and it worked just about every time. I mean, when, when it's there, when it's open and the guy's bailing out, it's beautiful. And it, and they executed it perfectly. Loved that. And, and glad you brought that up. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, so go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just <laughs> going to say that the next game here, um, it pissed me off so much. <laughs> uh, I Nick and I talked about this Saturday on the In This League College Fantasy Football Pod. And uh, I just, these guys getting held out hours before the game it's just super frustrating in cff and it's happened to me a couple times this year now and you know no khalil tate so we go with the backup quarterback and then uh, dtr gets hurt and we go with the backup quarterback for ucla as well and arizona winds up winning this game um 
uh, excuse me. Did they, they? I didn't. I I, I was looking at, at our score. Um, Seventeen <laughs> was the final score. That right, game, yeah. twenty to seventeen. U of A did wind up winning the score, mm-hmm. but obviously way lower than we thought because we uh, or way high, uh, way lower than we thought because we ended up with uh, you know backup quarterbacks in this one. So Nick, what did you see from this garbage game? That I had? <laughs> yeah, I mean it it uh, it definitely didn't play out. As we thought, we thought it would be a high-scoring game. Thought, you know, Khalil Tate. I, I hadn't heard even a whisper that he was uh, banged up in any way. Uh, we, we, I think, touched on that JJ Taylor had uh, been limited in the previous game and had li- been limited in practice and things like that. But I had no idea until the news broke, like you said, an hour or two before uh, they were getting ready for kickoff that Tate was. Uh, not going to play uh that that came as a complete surprise so um had we known that obviously we we probably would have had a different opinion on this i was very high on arizona our numbers uh comparatively loved uh the wildcats going into this game but you know obviously somebody out there knew something we didn't because the spread was just getting tighter and tighter all week so perhaps somebody there uh a little closer to the situation knew what was going on. I, I had no idea Tate was uh, even questionable, much less going to be in street clothes that game. So, uh, you know, that's always unfortunate when when something like that happens. Uh, hopefully, uh, both Tate and Taylor will be uh, back this week. They are both questionable, I believe. But, um, but you know, we, we want to see these guys uh, at full strength and, and want to see them uh, be able to, to play. So it was a disappointment that we missed out. And, yeah, DTR um, – Getting, getting banged up there towards the end is, is definitely not a good sign for UCLA moving forward. So hard to take a lot from this game. I mean, uh, obviously, Arizona put the ball in the air a lot with Grant Gannell back behind center. So maybe that's a, a glimpse at what we will see in 2020 a little bit more. Uh, but uh, yeah, kind of kind of hard to, to take too much because this game just didn't play out as we expected. And, and UCLA, oddly enough, um, and I think Chip Kelly has, has uh, referenced or, or, or commented on this uh, since the game, but Demetric Felton didn't play at all in the first quarter. And apparently, I thought maybe he had been suspended because he didn't play in the first quarter, but he was on the field for the first play of the second. And usually that's kind of how things work if a guy's suspended for a quarter. But uh, according to Chip Kelly, no, he just, you know, Felton's the backup and Kelly's good. So Kelly. Uh, played until he needed a breather or something. So that's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, (laughs) Demetri Felton has been your best player by far (laughs) all year until DTR last week looked really good. And even him looking good was partly because he's throwing short outs to Felton, who was taking him. Yes. So what the hell are you thinking about what I mean? I just uh, I can't I can't pretend to. I can't pretend to act like I know what the hell Chip Kelly's thinking. No, and and, and it's something that, you know, I, I most of the time will try to give just about anybody the benefit of the doubt, and Chip Kelly perhaps even more so. Uh, but it's almost like he's just he, – he's acting like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and nobody else knows what they're doing when he just keeps making these uh, really questionable decisions. I mean, you've got Felton who – uh, I had in the preseason listed as, as a wide receiver and he ends up becoming the top running back when Kelly's banged up earlier in the year, but get him, get him involved in the passing game more. Call him whatever you want. Give him the football. It doesn't matter. He wasn't even, he wasn't even in the start that final drive. Yeah. Uh, 
Exactly. So I just, uh, I, I, I'll <laughs> never get it. But was there anything else that we took away from this week? I mean, we had some, uh, some fun games here. Auburn spanked Mississippi State. Uh, Liberty in New Mexico was, of course, 17 to 10 because I think the over was 109. So uh, that's how those games seem to go. Kansas State went down to Oklahoma State. Um, Chuba, let's go. (laughs) Hubbard is um, he's my favorite player in college football right now. Man, he's a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, former track star, no surprise to see him. You know, you give him just a little bit of daylight and no one's touching him. So he's had some explosive plays this year, to say the least. Um, And then Utah over Washington State. Yeah, Washington State didn't put up 60 points this week, did they? (laughs) (laughs) Can we we talk about how the, the, the sophomore slump of Trevor Lawrence continues? Um, this week again, he didn't look like, and I, and I don't want to put too much weight on a freshman coming in and having an amazing year, but even statistically, I mean, he has had 1,100 yards, so that's great. But eight touchdowns, five interceptions, that's not an immaculate uh, st- you know stat line for a guy who's the quarterback of the number one team in the country. Um, uh, he, they're riding the ship, they're getting wins, but they're not doing it because of Trevor Lawrence at this point. Let's put it that way. I, I was a little surprised, uh, more so that Clemson seemed to really abandon the running game, mm. uh, particularly in the second half. I mean, Travis Etienne uh, is one of the most. I mean, we're, we're drooling over Chuba Hubbard. Etienne's just as good, if not yeah. better, and he he hardly got the ball carries. in the second half. So uh, that was a bit of a surprise. And and yeah, Lawrence uh, has not looked as sharp as he did. Uh, at times last season and is not the you know has not looked like the guy that all summer people were saying oh maybe he should just uh go straight to the xfl and and not worry about college football anymore you know stuff like that uh so um uh, it's a little bit surprising it's it's not a shock you know sometimes players will take a huge jump in year two and and sometimes they come down to earth just a little bit so i'm not worried about lawrence long term but i was uh one obviously surprised that that game was as close as it was that uh, clemson really just kind of escaped uh thanks to a, a questionable play call on the on the second down or the two-point conversion at the end but um yeah really surprised at, at how they just haven't been getting ETN involved as, as much. And I don't know if there's something going on with him. Maybe he's not uh, fully healthy. I, I don't know. I haven't paid enough attention, uh, enough close enough attention to, to them specifically, I, I must admit. But um, surprised by, by that decision for sure. A bye week for them could not come at a better time, especially with Florida State coming to town next week. They need it. Mm-hmm. They need they- They've got to correct some things before that team comes in there. Florida State has, like I said, it, it seems that they've kind of rid the ship a little bit. seems like Taggart has his boys playing tough again. Now, I know NC State's no, not the NC State they have been in the last couple of years, but their last two performances, they put up 35 or 30-plus points. Uh, they've put up 30-plus points in four out of the five games this year. So we know that offense can go when it gets going. Uh, but what was good to see last week was the de- the defense actually held up its end of the bargain. Um, if they can do that next week, then we might have a game on our hands. Who's, uh-huh. who's your Heisman winner right now? Mm, Justin Fields, by a long shot. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's Fields and Hurts for me are one, are one and 1A. I think statistically Hurts has, has the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fields has 
I think, taken Ohio State to to another level. So I think he's in the top four. Uh, I think Tua is, is certainly still up there, and I think Joe Burrow is is got to be considered. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think those four are my top four if I were to uh, vote at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I might lean Hurts just because statistically he's, he's off to a historical start. So um, if he can keep that up, I, I think he definitely has a chance – to win it. I, I think though, if I were to handicap the race, I would think that uh, Tua might uh, be worthy of still being the favorite uh, by the end of the season. I was going to say, it feels like to me that Hurts is going to get caught in the wash of all the big games that the other three quarterbacks play that we just named. Uh, Tua and Burrow will both play each other and play more ranked teams, whereas Hurts has the Texas game and the Oklahoma State game really are the only two games that you can point to that might be prime time matchups. Big uh, I think championship, that, yeah. Oh, that as well. I think that 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 may have to that may hinder him in some aspect because if Fields and Ohio State blow out every Big Ten team this year, including possibly you know uh, the team in the Big Ten championship game, I think that they just have more opportunities to kind of show the country how good they are against quality opponents. Where Hurts might you know suffer from a, a Big Twelve that's top heavy. I think as long as Wisconsin is hanging around too, you know, Jonathan Taylor has to be in consideration because he has mm-hmm. 11 yeah. scores and has sure. gone over 100 yards rushing in every game so far. So I think I think he's on the outside of all those guys you listed. I just think he needs to be uh, in consideration as well. I so. agree. I agree. He's He's been very, very impressive. Did you, Nick, did you give the numbers for how CFP Winning Edge did last week already? Did we do that or did you not do mm-hmm. that yet? Uh, I don't think we said it specifically. It was a good bounce back week. Uh, straight up, we were at 86.3%, which uh, is, is good. I think uh, most of the time, the Vegas favorite wins about 78%. So uh, we're, we were much more closely aligned uh, with Vegas this week than we have been in uh, years past, which was good. And then, as I mentioned before, 5-0 and on those false favorites or when we thought that the wrong team was actually favored. So that was huge in our in our favor for, uh, for that number this week. And then uh, against the spread, we had uh, a solid week, not spectacular, but 55% uh, was our best week of the season to date. So uh, definitely uh, saw some progress from the tweaks that we made uh, last week incorporating a little bit more um, in-play season data, which is good. Um, And then this week, our our numbers, our our early projections are even more closely aligned with uh, the Vegas odds. Actually, there aren't very many at all uh, huge edges that that we see this week, which uh, on the one hand has me you know, not as excited as I normally would because I want to see, you know, on the games where we're really different than, than the odds makers, uh, I want to see how that shakes out. And there's just not that many of them this week. So on the one hand, it's good for our numbers to, to uh, really be stabilizing. It, it makes me confident that we're on the right track and, and the rest of the season is going to be good. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it's uh, a little anticlimactic when, when you look at our numbers and, and then look at the Vegas spread and they're within, you know, half a point or, or something like that. Kind of kind of want to see uh, some way that, that we can differentiate ourselves and, and, you know, find an edge compared to those numbers. But uh, on the whole, it was a good week. Um, excited about uh, the rest of the season for sure. Yeah, I'm uh, th- this week, like you said, is a 
Um, there's a lot of bye weeks going on, especially for my fantasy teams, of course. But uh, <laughs> this week, there's a lot of fun games to go through. So let's just uh, go ahead and start with some week six matchups. And the first one we're going here with is Nebraska at uh, Northwestern, excuse me, at Nebraska. And Nebraska's favored in this game by seven and a half points. Um, you know, the money line, people are still taking um, Northwestern. And on the over-under, it's gone over. It's uh, 49 and a half currently. And against the spread, it's 85% in Northwestern's favor. I think with both these teams, we've seen a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. And I'm not really sure which way I want to uh, go in this one, Nick. So how do you feel about this game? Well, I have not been at all impressed with Northwestern. Um, they just they have not looked... Uh, Hunter Johnson, the, the Clemson transfer at quarterback, has not looked comfortable. Uh, he he did not win the job outright in the preseason. Had to sh- uh, share snaps with uh, T.J. Green, the former walk-on, in week one. But then Green went down with a season-ending injury. Thought, okay, maybe Johnson now is going to stabilize the the situation. But he still hasn't been able to to really. Uh, grow into that role to the fact that he's still, you know, he's, he's splitting snaps now with, with uh, the quarterback that was third on the depth chart at the start of the year. So that's not a great sign. Their, their uh, best wide receiver is out for this game and, and probably for a month. They've been banged up at running back. Isaiah Bowser hasn't gotten to, you know, get up to the speed that we expected based on what we saw from him last year. So offensively, Northwestern is, is just kind of a mess. Uh, defensively, they, they've got some very talented players, especially uh, in the front seven. So, you know, a lot of what they want to do traditionally is is what they've had to do this year, where you just kind of want to uh, slow things down, uh, make things, you know, grind things out, make it muddy, make it bloody, uh, and, and just sort of try to to steal a, a low scoring game here or there. And and they they uh, were able to to play that style against Wisconsin and really uh, dictated the tempo of that game. So um, there's certainly an opportunity to do that against Nebraska, who has looked uh, very shaky at times this year, beginning in week one when they just, you know, didn't, uh, didn't blow out South Alabama as they were expected to. They look like that same team. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think that they've looked like the same team that couldn't get, very far past uh, South Alabama this whole season. It's it's. Uh, I, I would agree, except that I, I was pleased with what I saw against Illinois, and so that gave me some hope going into last week. But you're you're absolutely right that this past week uh, it, it looked like the same team we saw in week one. So this team just hasn't been consistent. They haven't. Uh, they haven't gotten better really over the course of the year. And, and that's really what you hope to see, especially for a young team that's looking to take another step in year two under Scott Frost. So um, was disappointed with what we saw from Adrian Martinez throwing the football. But on the other hand, the offensive line was just, you know, they, they couldn't slow down Chase Young. The Ohio State uh, front seven was was just putting Martinez under pressure all night um, was was having to rush throws, just wasn't comfortable. And and when that happens, you know you're going to get a lot of sacks. You're going to get some interceptions. And he tossed three interceptions, and and uh, that's going to you know that's going to keep you off the scoreboard uh, for sure. So um, I think 
I, I when I'm when I'm looking ahead to this game, I see it uh, falling into the style of uh, the the way Northwestern wants to play. That they're going to try to to win ugly, and I don't think that they are talented enough uh, to beat Nebraska uh, really in any sense. But but even if they're trying to win ugly, I, I think Nebraska is going to bounce back somewhat. I don't think they're going to look great offensively but i think we're going to see them uh look a little bit better um our final score prediction uh cfb winning edge numbers see it as nebraska 27 northwestern 21 so fairly low scoring uh nebraska a a better performance but but still not clicking on all cylinders yeah xavier how do you see this one playing out because this is why i picked this game I don't know what to expect from Adrian Martinez, but it seems like Northwestern is the bad version of Nebraska, who's the bad version <laughs> of what we expected from Nebraska. I hate Nebraska in this game. Oh, um, I think that they they have not looked impressive in any game that they've played this year. Um, even in their one win against Illinois, they gave up 38 points. So that just tells you how bad that defense has been at times. I hate Nebraska in this game more so than anything because I think they're going to be reeling. I think they got smacked at home by Ohio State. They got embarrassed, uh, to be frank, on national television. And I don't see things changing with, you know, and I don't like Scott Frost either with this ball club. I I said it at the beginning of the year. I think that his teams are fragile. I think that his teams have been mentally weak since he's been in Nebraska. And I think that doesn't change on Saturday. Um, On the other end, I trust Northwestern's head coach to come out there and give them the best performance possible. Now, like, like Nick said, it may not be enough. Uh, Nebraska is just more talented than Northwestern is. However, I just trust Northwestern to give me more effort. And like they did last week, they pushed the eighth-ranked you know, Badgers to the edge. Uh, yes, losing only by nine, and Wisconsin, for the most part, looked like they were in control of that game at times. Um, but you know, Northwestern gave what they had, and you know, at the end of the day, they're always going to give somewhat of a— of, of a tough performance. They're never just going to let you go away easy or walk all over them. I don't see, and if Nebraska can't do that, I don't see them being mentally strong enough to win this ballgame. So I'm going to pick Northwestern um, and, and maybe shock a few people. I think Northwestern picks up a, you know, a nice little, you know, consolation prize for themselves right before they have to go get smacked by Ohio State at home next week or the week after um, on the 18th of um, October in a primetime matchup. I think Northwestern is going to be looking at this Nebraska game as an opportunity for them to kind of try to right this ship right before Ohio State comes to town. Um, I don't like – I think Adrian Martinez, those that Heisman hype maybe got to his head a little bit. Um, and I think Scott Frost thought way too highly of this ball club before the year started. They have looked just uh, – there was I – don't, I don't even know what to say. That doesn't involve expletives when it comes to that <laughs> game against Ohio State. They, they just don't. They didn't look good. Nothing yeah. About, yeah, nothing about Nebraska tells me, ah, I can choose them and be confident in my selection. I mean, they're, they're, they may be the worst above 500 team in the country right now. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on the disappointment in Nebraska because I thought they were going to be much better than they played this week. And I, I do like Scott Frost. I don't know that. I don't know that we're there yet for him in Nebraska as far as recruiting goes and putting together everything that he wants. I mean, it's obvious that we're not there. So I mm-hmm. do, like, gun to my head, though, I think I'm picking Nebraska to win this game straight up um, because I think that this is a bounce-back game for them because they just got smashed by Ohio State. I think you have to come 
with a little bit of uh, intestinal fortitude here and, uh, you know, show up and show out at, at home against a team that is beatable. You know, look, Ohio State wasn't beatable. And I, I even think and Nebraska played their best game. I think they still lose to Ohio State. And they clearly did not play anywhere close to their best game last week. So I think they got to come back and win. I just I picked that game because it's one where I don't know if we're completely writing off uh, Adrian Martinez at this point or if we're still want, wanting to watch him against some competition that he could probably pick apart because it definitely wasn't Ohio State. But how about we go to, towards this Ohio State-Michigan State game? And this one, Ohio State is favored by 20. Uh, I don't know yeah. if I, I remember the last time uh, an Ohio State-Michigan State game was had a spread this big. I mean, it could have been last year. I just don't remember it. Um, the over under is 50 in this. Now both have opened, uh, uh, you know, Ohio state opened up as a seven point, uh, 17 point favorite and it's ballooned to 20 and, uh, the over under bumped up a half point as well, Nick. So how do we see Ohio state versus Michigan state playing out? Well, uh, my, my first instinct when, when seeing that this game opened as, uh, I would say a 17 point favorite and then shot up to 20, as you mentioned, um, was that, that's a lot of points because Michigan State has a history of playing up under Mark D'Antonio. I mean, they've they've given Ohio State fits uh, through the years. They've given Michigan fits through the years. You know, other teams that on paper are more talented. Michigan State has done a good job of limiting that talent advantage of, of cutting it down by their style of play and, and in certain ways, you know, playing up. So uh, at, at first glance, I thought, wow, that's that's just too many points. There's no way that our numbers are, are going to be uh, in line with that. But uh, as I was, you know, putting the final touches on uh, Saturday night and getting ready to send out our week six early point spread projections, um, which uh, our patrons get first thing Sunday morning, I was surprised at, at how high we actually had Ohio State favored. We are our, our very first numbers uh, had the Buckeyes favored by 19.75 points. So uh, we were even higher than that opening line. Uh, and then it moved in our favor at that point. And, and our current uh, projected point spread has, has gotten even higher. So um, just based on, uh, you know, a couple of personnel moves at Michigan State, they lost backup running back Connor Hayward to the transfer portal. Uh after the uh, first four weeks. So uh, that probably uh, had the biggest impact because he was fairly highly rated according to our numbers. So uh, we have Ohio State is a little bit more than uh, a 20-point favorite. So our projected final score here is actually 37-17 Ohio State, and, and that seems very high because Michigan State is a top-10 defense. I mean, statistically speaking, they're in the top 10 in scoring defense and total defense. Uh, rushing defense has been phenomenal most of the year. So uh, they, they've got some very talented guys up front, Kenny Willekes and Raquan Williams and Joe Bacci, and, and you know, defensively, they're good. So this is going to be the, the best defense that Ohio State has played. It will be interesting to see, uh, can the Buckeyes, you know, keep it rolling on offense? Can uh, can Fields keep his uh, level of play so high? Can Dobbins do it, the receivers, uh, and, and that offensive line, of course? So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit worried 
because our numbers are so high, because I just have that sticking in my mind, you know, D'Antonio is going to get these guys ready to play. And and we have seen some growth from Michigan State offensively. I mean, Brian Lewerke looks uh, about what he looked like in, in 2017. He, he seems to have overcome the injury issues from last year. He's, he's running well. He's throwing pretty well. And, and so uh, that, coupled with Michigan State being so strong on defense, I, I kind of see this being a game similar to what I was saying earlier about Northwestern, where they just kind of want to, you know, they just kind of want to get it, you know, muddy and bloody and, and uh, really just slow things down. And, and if that's the case, is Ohio State going to get the ball enough to, to run up, you know, a 20 point margin of victory? But then on the other hand, Ohio State has also been really, really good defensively. In fact, in most of those statistical categories I mentioned earlier, uh, if not all of them, Ohio State is better. So uh, it, it's, this is, is, a tough game because Ohio state has been so good. Um, and our numbers do respect them, do respect what they've done so far. And of course, uh, they, they've been sort of jockeying back and forth with Alabama most of this season to that, uh, number one ranking in our roster strength rating. So Ohio state is, you know, legitimately a candidate for the most talented team in the country and they're playing like it. So, uh, it makes me a little bit nervous, but our numbers are, are pretty much in line with the current uh, Vegas point spread and, and see this as a 37-17 Ohio State victory. And, and if they do win by that total, I think it'll be impressive enough that, that Ohio State's going to continue to climb in the polls. And, and you know, we, we won't be uh, – I know there's already been a little bit of a shift uh, in just talking about Alabama and Clemson as being, you know, in a, in a tier above the rest. But Ohio State has, has played their way into that top tier for sure and is marching toward uh, potentially a number one – uh, overall ranking. So uh, I don't know if I believe it, but our numbers say Ohio State's going to win by 20. Xavier, I mean, can Lewerke and Elijah Collins and the Michigan State defense keep them in this game? You're playing with my heartstrings here because I have Michigan State being a very, very, very good ball club. Uh, in the preseason, yeah, you had them winning the Big Ten in the preseason, yeah, right? I did. Yeah, um, I absolutely had them completely ruining a lot of people's uh, brackets for this year. Um, I think we have what we're seeing in the in the numbers as as long, as far as the betting lines are concerned. I think we're seeing a little bit of an overreaction to an Ohio State team who has relatively played nobody yet. Um, you know, you go down the list of teams and it's not impressive: Indiana, Miami of Ohio, Nebraska, Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati. None of those teams make you think, ooh, quality win. Um, but this Ohio State team, at least with Justin Fields at the helm, looks like an unbeatable force at the at the current moment, um, at least offensively. However, like Nick alluded to, this Michigan State defense is not only good, but they're experienced as well. And they've played in big games. And for them, they understand that their season might, is pretty much on the line. They also understand that this is – the first game of a three-game stretch where they'll play all ranked teams in Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. So they understand that they're gonna if they're gonna have an opportunity to really win the Big Ten, it's gonna have to start on Saturday. Um, for me, Michigan State has a quality loss. I mean, Arizona State is ranked 20th in the country right now. I don't think we can take much from that loss and, and really, you know, dumb down Michigan State's ability to win this ball game. For me, I'm gonna have to only have to go with Ohio State simply because they're at home. Uh, I think if Michigan State was at home, I think that I would give them a little bit more of uh, an opportunity to win this ball game. Uh, 
<coughs> Excuse me. Um, no sneezing on the podcast. <laughs> Come on. Um, I think I'd give Michigan State a little bit more of an edge if they were at home. However, Ohio State in the shoe, another primetime matchup, back-to-back weeks. Uh, so, you know, the guys are going to be ramped up for this ballgame, and they have no reason not to. Um, I don't like the, the line that we have it at right now. Um, I don't see Ohio State winning by this much. I think Ohio State will win by a touchdown, so I'd give them more of a 7.5, maybe 10 uh, as far as the spread is concerned. Uh, but Michigan State, I just don't think has it on the road. If they were at home, I'd be upset alerting everybody. But on the road, in Ohio State, in the shoe, I don't see it happening on Saturday, unfortunately. I don't know what to think of this game. Um, I I think, and I know I've said that, but these are the games we pick. We pick the tough ones. Uh, there's plenty of easy games that we could put on here and say, hey, look, you know, uh, so-and-so is going to beat the jumping Jesus out of so-and-so, and then it happens. <laughs> but we, we like to pick the close ones that are more difficult for people to pick. I think I'm going to go with Ohio State in this game. They have been unbelievably impressive, and if you look at some of the matchups that uh, Michigan State has had while the defense has played well, uh, you know, there are times, you know, ASU's offense held them and uh, our defense held them on offense. So I, I just think that Chase Young is going to be seeing a lot of Brian Lewerke this week. <laughs> and uh, it's not going to be fun for the Spartans. So I, I'm going to take Ohio State walking away with a probably more than 20 point victory in this game. So um, I, I more than 20, more than 20 Going on a limb. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we just saw them absolutely dominate Nebraska on the it's road. It's Nebraska. Yeah, uh, look, Michigan State. <laughs> I think Michigan State is closer to Nebraska than they are to Ohio State. Wow. And, and I'm not. I'm not trying to insult Michigan State. <laughs> I just think Ohio State's really good. So I think with Justin Fields back there, uh, just in his first year of starting games, looking so good. I mean, this is a, his first big measuring stick game. I'll say that. Yeah. And we'll see what it looks like because I think it's either going to be Ohio State walks away with like a 35 point win or they walk away with, um, you know, either in a loss by a couple points or a win by a couple points. I think the swing is that big, but that's why we picked these games. So I would say Ohio State uh, walks away with a huge win in this game. Now, this this next game. I really, I love that. Xavier, did you pick this Duke uh, pick game? Yeah, I love that you picked this yes. one because I this is one that was really close for me picking as well. It's Duke minus five. The over's 48 and a half. Uh, Duke has looked really good outside of the Alabama game, which is not a surprise. Alabama's really, really good. Uh, and Pitt has been a little bit bipolar, but they've been playing well recently and come scraping away wins. So this game is going to be one of the more fun games to watch this week. So what do you guys think of this one? Nick, we'll start with you here. So uh, I'm glad you picked this as well, Xavier. I, I, uh, <laughs> these two teams are, for, for some reason, they're top of mind for me a lot. Last year, Pitt was kind of the uh, CFB winning edge darling. They were like uh, out of nowhere. I, I noticed one week based on their team performance ratings, and, and they actually had uh, a pretty talented roster as well. Uh, one week they were just in the top 20, and it seemed like for no good reason. And so our numbers kept saying like, okay, well, Pitt's going to win. You know, they're they're uh, a Vegas underdog, but our numbers say they're going to win. And they kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. And 
uh, ended up, of course, making it to the ACC championship game. So uh, they were a team that I really was watching closely uh, last year. And, and for that reason, they've been intriguing to me early on this year. And, and they're a completely different team offensively. And, and they've uh, had a couple of really unfortunate uh, injuries on the defensive line, two of their best guys out for the year early in the season. And then last week uh, was just a, a complete 180 for them after beating UCF and, and uh, looking, you know, really pretty good on offense and, and uh, for them to come back and just look completely flat against Delaware and, and be lucky enough to win while also uh, not playing. I think it was like, uh, half a dozen starters, if not more. Uh, and we don't really know exactly what was going on with Kenny Pickett. Is he hurt? You know, why, why didn't he play? Uh, I think there has been some uh, rumblings about a shoulder injury, but he seems to be back at practice last I heard. So, you know, th- it, it was all just sort of odd. And, and Pitt just is a little bit of an odd team. They're, they're uh, sort of in that Michigan State Northwestern mold, and, and that makes a little bit of sense because Narduzzi, of course, was uh, Mark D'Antonio's defensive coordinator for a long time. So uh, they're they're the type of team that can jump up and beat anybody, as we've seen, but they're also the kind of team that can lose to anybody and, and just look bad one week. So uh, definitely difficult to pin them down. Duke is a team that uh, our numbers were really high on in the preseason and, and most, uh, you know, magazines and, and other analytics or whatever, I think had Duke in the fifties, um, most of the, the preseason. And for us, they were really holding strong at that 35 range and spent time as, as like the third, uh, ranked ACC team coming into the year, uh, which, which was, higher than anybody on the planet probably and after week one i felt pretty stupid because they just didn't look good uh against alabama but since then they've they've really been building and and i've been impressed with quentin harris i think he's uh obviously got a, a great command of the offense and they're doing some really unique stuff on offense i mean <laughs> unique nowadays at least i mean they're they're lining up in the i formation from time to time they're running uh some old school triple option uh at times and and so it's just really interesting to see what they're doing and last week they just put it on virginia tech i mean after the first quarter where they were kind of slow coming out of the gate uh they were just dominant uh and, and so that was a good sign to see as Duke has uh, climbed a, a little bit higher in our numbers there. They are now the second highest rated ACC team, according to our team strength uh, rating. So on one hand, that makes me a little nervous. I don't know if Duke is the uh, you know really the second best team. But on the other hand, it's it's been nice to see uh, them at least somewhat live up to expectations over the last three or four games. So uh, our numbers see Duke. As a favorite, uh, see them projected to win by almost eight points. So um, Duke does seem to have a healthier team. I know they lost a backup running back for the rest of the season, uh, and they have had some injuries early on in the secondary. But Pitt, because we've had to go in and and, uh, sort of – you know, slash, so to speak, uh, Kenny Pickett and uh, a few of the guys uh, that were out on defense, not 100% sure they'll be back this week. And then running back, they've had, uh, you know, two or three guys were out last week. We're not sure who's going to be back so far this week. So 
that's part of the reason. If Pitt was fully healthy, they would probably be uh, maybe a six-point underdog, something like that, to Duke, according to our, our figures. But at this point, because there are so many questions, we see Duke uh, covering this and winning 28-20. to 20. Xavier, you picked this game. I mean, what? how do you see this playing out? I picked this game because I really like Duke. Um, I think that they are the they have the least amount of glaring issues when I look at them in Virginia, um, and those obviously being the two teams that could probably that could compete for the uh, the coastal um, at the moment. They're one and two, if I'm not mistaken, and probably give Clemson the you know best run for their money in the ACC at this current moment. When I look at Duke, I look at a team that's so versatile. Uh, they they you know as Nick alluded to, they're able to run several different formations. You know, uh, I think what a lot of people saw in Duke was a team that was losing a top 10, you know, drafted quarterback. But what they forget is I think they forgot a lot about Quinn Harris and the amount of playing time that he has in that system and the amount of, and you know, that he was ready for this moment. He, he's not a, a senior quarterback that's been on the bench and has not had any playing time while being at Duke. And now he's just kind of getting a year, you know, almost like, a well, you've been here long enough, so we're going to give it to you. You know, this guy competed with Daniel Jones and, you know, split time with him in, in certain, you know, packages in some games. And I think that he has taken this team uh, and really taken the reins of this team in this ball club. When I look at Pitt, I look at a team that has been very up and down and I don't know what team we're going to see on Saturday. Um, you know, I think that part of the team may be a little distracted. Uh, there's some rumblings going around that uh, Pat Narduzzi has, is now in the coaching search for Rutgers. Um, and, you know, he's been, had to deal with that in the media um, this week. Um, they don't know if Kenny Pickett's going to play. He practiced today but we don't know if he they don't know if he's going to be you know ready for saturday um a kid that obviously like i said i like his style he gets banged up a lot though um so we don't know what kind of kenny pickett will even get come saturday if he you know you know we've seen with likes of cam newton if the shoulders hurt it might impact the entire play calling come saturday um my choice for this game is duke i think duke has more i think duke is the better team right now they've played you know the most consistent they're coming off of an absolute beat down of virginia tech while pittsburgh kind of crawled to a to a measly win over a delaware team that probably had no business being that close i think if i'm a if i'm an acc fan and duke wins this game by you know 15 plus points that they're definitely my favorite to then win the Coastal. Um, I think that this game is going to tell, tell me a lot about Duke um, as they're playing a team that's going to come, you know, I think they're going to come ready to play in Pittsburgh, but I think Duke just is far and away the better team at the current moment. But who knows? You know, Pittsburgh, I thought Pittsburgh wasn't going to beat UCF, and they, they handled business at home. Uh, but I think Duke is the better team right now. Yeah, I've got Duke in this game too, and I think that it's uh... – you know, I think a lot of it focuses back towards the quarterback. And Quinn Harris has been Quinn Harris wasn't horrible in the Alabama game. They just, you know, right? Uh, they they couldn't get anything done. And he we've seen him do it with his legs too. I mean, he's a complete quarterback. And we just have no idea what's going on at quarterback. It's Nick Patty. It's uh, Puckett, uh, uh, Pickett. I mean, uh, I I just don't know what to expect on a week to week basis. And Pitt is a team that plays up and down. So uh, I expect a close game, but I mm -hmm, think right. that Duke is going to win this game, and I think five points is enough for me to, to lay my money on Duke in this as well. So, and, uh, an and, and another quick point before we go, Duke 
actually, you know, if, if you just watched the first quarter between Duke and Alabama, you wouldn't be able to tell from that first, like, I think Alabama's first two or three drives that Duke was that far, you know, that Alabama was there much, that much their superior. Right. Duke played well. And, you know, that, that, they I think got it was zero, zero going into the second, wasn't yeah, it? Or something. They got to two, I think three or four times in that, in that, uh, in that first quarter, I think Duke played. Uh, yeah. So Duke, Show had showed signs early on that they were capable of playing up and playing a very good team. Now Alabama's on another stratosphere, so obviously Alabama pulled away. But it's not like Duke wasn't competing with them at least to start off the ball game. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. Uh, the next game I picked is we got to get some Pac-12 action in here, right? Oh I mean, goodness! <laughs> they're all the all these goddamn games are crazy. They're nuts. I can't <laughs> I can't figure them out. So I was like, okay, I'll let Nick and Xavier figure this one out. So. Uh, it's Oregon at uh, at UCLA, excuse me. Uh, UCLA is favored by six. But we don't know if DTR is going to play. We had seen a change of running back for Oklahoma State. They're going uh, for Oregon State, excuse me. They're going to uh, Artavis Pierce instead of Jamar Jefferson. So, um, but their offenses look good the whole year. So, uh, sixty-five and a half, high over in this one. Nick, how do you see this playing out? Uh, this game is interesting, and and. Uh, <laughs> Part of it is is the unknowns with UCLA. I mean, we, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Why are they not getting Demetri Felton the ball more? You know, why is he not on the field at the same time as Joshua Kelly? I and mean, if those are arguably your two best players, you know, utilize them. Let's go. Uh, but they they looked better offensively, of course, uh, two weeks ago against Washington State. Saw some flashes uh, early on against Arizona, but but um, still not quite. Uh, you know, they, they didn't look as good, obviously, as they did the previous week. So it's a concern when you have an injury at the quarterback position. Most certainly Austin Burton um, has, you know, some some promise for sure. But uh, he's he's going to be a step down from uh, Thompson Robinson athletically. And, and uh, any time that, that you make a, a transition at that position, there's there's a little bit of a hiccup that you know, you're going to expect most of the time. So uh, that makes me a little bit concerned. On the other hand, Oregon State has been uh, really probably much better than expected. They've been very competitive. Um, they took advantage of some transfers over the last uh, year and a half, and, and a lot of those guys have, uh, you know, stepped in and, and done a pretty good job uh, on defense. Uh, they've, they've made some improvements. Offensively, as you mentioned, they've, they've been good, and, and they were pretty good last year. Uh, I saw that uh, Jamar Jefferson has been banged up quite a bit. Uh, that might have had something to do with Artavis Pierce getting uh, the bulk of the the carries last week. Excuse me, um, and uh, did see something just before we got on that that uh, said that Jefferson is back fully healthy, quote unquote, this week. So hopefully he will be uh, back in the mix a little bit more and and have a a bigger impact on uh, their running game. But uh, uh, you know, regardless, even if he's if he's out or if they're going to split carries, saw some good things out of Pierce last week against Stanford and, and Oregon State had a chance to win that game. I mean, they fell down, uh, you know, fell behind early, but fought back, took a late lead and, and or excuse me, took, tied it uh, there at the end. But but the def, uh, defense wasn't able to uh, keep Stanford from getting that last second field goal to win. So um, Oregon State has, uh, even though they're just one and three, 
they have climbed quite a bit in our numbers. And, and I wasn't sure exactly why, um, but they've, 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 they're just a stronger team. They've, they've played decently well. Their team performance rating this year is a little below average, but not by much. I mean, they're 77.48 and our average rating is right at 80. So, you know, they're, they're, not a terrible team, which some people thought maybe they were, thought that they were for sure the last, you know, the, the worst team in the Pac-12. And I'm not so sure that they are, especially if uh, Colorado may or may not uh, have LaVisca Chenault on hand. Uh, right now, the Buffs are actually the 12th rated team in the Pac-12, according to our team's strength rating. So Oregon State's made some improvements. Uh, they have looked decent at times. Uh, I think that they will play close uh we expect a a fairly high scoring game uh have a little bit more faith in oregon state's offense actually than ucla's uh, especially if thompson robinson is out but our numbers see a a pretty high scoring game uh but ucla getting the win but oregon state covering uh 34 30 uh for the bruins how do you see this one playing out xavier i mean i think i think this game (laughs) solely relies on whether or not DTR plays. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, if he's available to play, UCLA all the way. Um, I think that they're the more talented team. And I think to an extent, I think they've kind of begun to figure things out on the defensive end of the ball. Um, and, I, and I think that if DTR plays, then obviously he'll he'll give them the offensive options to then uh, help out um, when it comes to offensively. When I look at Oregon State, I look at a team that I, this is probably the first time I've read up, read up and watched an Oregon State game, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. Since Jacquez Rogers played there in the Falcons oh, draft, man, I was like, I was like, huh, Oregon State, <laughs> wow. Oh, and obviously, I used to watch Brandon Cooks highlights, so that's a little bit more recent. Um, but honestly, when I when I look at this game, I, I have to just go strictly with the talent. I think UCLA has more talent and will win this game because of it. Um, I think DTR will play. He didn't look completely unhealthy on, on Saturday. I think they just held him out maybe because of precaution and because the game was so close. They didn't want to you know, get him more injured than he might have already been. But he was up. He was moving around gingerly. But um, it didn't look anything to be too you know, serious to where they'd keep him out of this week's game. Uh, so with the, him at the helm, I think UCLA you know, walks away the victor. Yeah, I think UCLA wins this game too. Um, you know, Oregon State, even if DTR doesn't play, Oregon State just can't stop anybody. Look, they put up 28 points in every single game they played, which is nice. But when uh, the the only game where they didn't give up at least 31 was to Cal Poly. So um, uh, they have a tough time stopping anyone. I think you could have Joshua Kelly and Demetric Felton switch off on a Wildcat and they give up 30 points. So... Uh, the defense just uh, isn't there for them, so I think uh, I think UCLA uh, gets a win here. But what would you take? Um, what was the over on this one again? Let me just double check here. It was sixty-five and a half. Uh, Nick, you've got it projected to go uh, at sixty-four, so it's right there. I think the over is what depends on DTR. I think uh, mm-hmm. UCLA wins this game regardless. The over depends on DTR. So that's how I would kind of label that game. Um, I agree with that. And I, I, I don't get, obviously I don't know, but, uh, I, I don't get a good feeling for whatever reason. Uh, Xavier, I, I agree with you that he didn't look like he was 
hurt that badly mm-hmm. last week, and they showed him, you know, moving around on the sideline, and it, it seemed like he was trying to convince people to to right. put him back in. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, just I, I don't get a good feeling, and and part of it might be because what we saw in the preseason with UCLA, where like the Josh Kelly situation, we thought. Like, oh, he's been practicing for the last week or whatever. He'll play. And then he was nowhere to be found uh, during the Cincinnati game. So I wonder if, you know, maybe this is the same type thing where Kelly's not going to put him in until he's, you know, 100% for whatever reason. I mean, (laughs) UCLA, if, if they have any hope of getting to a bowl game, needs to beat Oregon State. And I think Oregon State will knock off somebody impact 12 play this year and and this is as good an opportunity as there is so if if just by my opinion i'm actually i think talking myself more and more into oregon state (laughs) because i just i don't right now something just is kind of weird with ucla and chip kelly and sort of the the way he's going about things and and i don't know i just don't get a, a great feeling that DTR is going to play. And and certainly, you know, I have no inside information. I, I don't even have a much, you know, outside information. I just, <laughs> I, 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 for whatever reason, I have a bad feeling about it. Um, and I think I'm talking myself into Oregon State a little bit more. And I, and I think I'm talking myself into this being uh, kind of playing out more like the game did last week between Arizona and UCLA, where it's more lower, lower scoring. I think we might be maybe about 20 points too high here on this final score prediction. I think it could be 24, 20, something in that range. And uh, yeah, I just, it, it seems like Oregon state is poised to knock somebody off. It would not shock me if, at all. If it happens this week. How about the biggest game of the week here? We've got an sec matchup, Auburn on the road of Florida. Auburn's favored by two and a half points and 48 and a half is the over on this one. Nick, how do you see this one going? Well, so uh, I, I mentioned at the top of the show that our numbers really didn't differ from uh, the Vegas point spread much. Well, this game is an exception. So I uh, have an opportunity perhaps to, to showcase an edge here, but also an opportunity to you know, look kind of dumb because uh, we are pretty uh, – we see a big edge here. We, uh, Florida um, has been underrated, I think, nationally. Uh, they, um, are one of the top 10 most talented teams in the country defensively. They do a lot of things really, really well, especially getting after the quarterback. Um, I know that the offense has, has suffered some injuries and, and, uh, they did take a a dip in our ratings when Felipe Franks got injured, but Kyle Trask has looked, uh, very good. He's, he's played, uh, well above, uh, where we have him rated at this point. And uh, that's a, a good sign because perhaps Florida is maybe even better than our ratings, particularly on offense. And we actually have Florida favored by almost seven points. And that's a huge difference, you know, nine points between the two. And and traditionally, uh, our numbers have done really quite well um, in games between Power 5 uh, teams and in games between ranked teams. And uh, last week, we, we did really, really well. We were 2-0 and in games 
uh, between two ranked teams. We were nine and six in, in games when a ranked team played a power five team. So it seems like this year, you know, perhaps we're catching up to uh, our previous results when that was a, a really big edge for us. And, and if that's the case, this game fits that mold uh, as perfectly as, as any we could hope for this week. Obviously, things don't always work out that way. Auburn has no, looked. No, no, no. You just quite- called it. You just called it. This is going to be <laughs> yeah, the right. Notre Dame-Virginia no, no, no game <laughs> from last week, right? Perfect I score, hope right? I hope it. I, I could <laughs> certainly be wrong. Auburn has looked good. They have arguably the best defensive line in the country. Uh, at, at linebacker, they've they've uh, played better than our numbers uh, would have expected. That looked like a weak point uh, defensively for them on paper, and and they've been you know they've been pretty good there. Their their overall defensive numbers, statistically speaking, are not dominant. But from a pure talent standpoint, there's really not a, a weak spot. On the defense and then offensively, you know, at times they have looked really, really good. They looked phenomenal against Mississippi State last week. Uh, but there have been times that they've they've been slow coming out the out the gate. And then Bo Nix had a, a career night uh, on Saturday, but he has looked like a true freshman at times. So it would not, you know, ultimately surprise me if uh, the it should be a, a raucous atmosphere in uh, the swamp. You would expect Florida to be uh, up for this game. They seem healthier than they've been in weeks past. They got back two uh, defensive starters that have missed the last couple of games, including their top cornerback, C.J. Henderson, and and arguably their top pass rusher in uh, uh, Zuniga. So um, they should be almost full strength. I don't think Kendarius Tony is, is fully healthy yet, but there seem to be some whispers that maybe he'll be back as well. So um, they're, they're, Florida, I think, has been underrated. I, I, I think they really did play uh, Miami much better than, than a lot of people thought, especially defensively. I mean, they were dominant up front, as, as we probably remember. But uh, even then, I mean, from a, a team performance standpoint, they are a top 10 team. They played like a top 10 team, according to our numbers. Uh, they, they've actually posted a higher team performance rating than Auburn slightly, uh, uh, roughly a 90 to about an 88. So not much of a difference, but everybody's been talking about how impressive Auburn has been. And from uh, the way our numbers see things, Florida has been just as impressive, perhaps even uh, a little bit more. So uh, I'm not saying we're 100% right, but the way our numbers see it, Florida has an edge uh, in a lot of different areas. Um, and and at this point, Bo Nix is actually a little bit more experienced than Kyle Trask at, at the quarterback position, oh. which is kind of difficult to say or, or just kind of weird to, to think about. But um, pretty much at every other position with offensive line, maybe the, the exception, maybe defensive line, the, uh, a small exception. But the differences there even aren't, aren't huge. But just about everywhere else, we see Florida – as having an edge. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe at a, if this is uh, fully a line of scrimmage game, Auburn will have, uh, a, a, you know, they obviously have a chance to win, but but if, if that is where the game is won or lost, perhaps we have to give Auburn a, a slight edge. But even then, um, we're high on Florida, and, and Florida is uh, the favorite according to our numbers. So we think that, uh, or I think, I guess, if I trust the numbers, that they're going to win outright 27 to 20. Um, we could certainly be wrong, but 
traditionally our numbers, this has kind of been our wheelhouse and, and, you know, we see a a potential edge here. So, uh, I feel confident in Florida plus two and a half at this point. And, uh, uh, I believe it. I think Florida's going to win. What do you think of this one, Xavier? Uh, one of the most interesting games of the week, two highly ranked teams in the SEC, uh, going at it. I am completely against everything Nick has said. Um, <laughs> I don't trust the numbers here. Without, 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 I'm, 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 I'm going to trust my eye here. And, and what my eye has told me so far is that Auburn has been able to win all of its big games. Florida has yet to play a big game. Um, we can say it has, in my opinion, has yet to play a real quality opponent. I mean, you can look at the Miami game. You can even look at the Kentucky game and go, you know, those teams aren't bad, but those teams aren't good either. Uh, in my opinion, they're very average at best. When I look at an Auburn team, I look at a team that went to Texas A&M last week and handled, or excuse me, two weeks ago and handled business, and a team that um, in a neutral site handled business against Oregon. When I look at um, Florida, my biggest issue with Florida right now is the fact that they can't run the football. Uh, they struggled to run for 100 yards against Townsend. Okay? Townsend. Um, this, this, Townsend's not a man-beater or a world-beater by any stretch of imagination, but you know they, they struggled to do that um, and get over the hump of 100 yards. They barely got over. Um, when you look at their game against Tennessee, similar thing. Barely over 100 yards, didn't dominate on the ground, and against an Auburn team that has all year been, you know, highly regarded as one of the best defensive lines in the country, they're not going to have the same success. If they couldn't have it against Townsend or against Tennessee, both of teams we would say have, you know, don't have nearly as good as defensive lines as Auburn does. When it comes to Saturday, I don't see where they're going to hang their hat on. And if they're going to put it on the back of Kyle Trask, I think this is going to be the game where we see why he was a backup. Um, he's they, They've been able so far in the last two games to allow him to be somewhat of a game manager, you know, throwing 20 passes against Townsend, 28 passes against Tennessee, you know, Tennessee game. Even in those 28 passes, he threw two INTs, so he wasn't, you know, unblemished in those and in, then in, in, out of those two games. And I think that that's what Auburn's going to do. They're going to play press man on the outside with a receiving core that without Kadari, uh, without Tony is very, uh, in my opinion, not very explosive. or And it doesn't really scare you all that much. And we saw that Miami do a similar thing where they dared Florida's receivers to beat them. Now, obviously, Tony was able to you know, bust out a, an 85-yard uh, or an 80-plus-yard you know, uh, bubble screen that went into the uh, took it to the house. But if he's not able to play and he's not fully healthy, I see Auburn playing the exact same way. Press man on the outside, put six in the box, maybe put a spy on Trask because he is, you know, rather, you know, he, he is athletic to an extent. And they're going to force him to make the throws that they did against Kellen Mond. And Kellen Mond couldn't make the throws until very late in that game. And, you know, Kyle Trask, similar plight for me. I don't think he's going to be able to make the throws on Saturday. And I think Auburn and Gus Malzahn will just drop enough maybe offensive gimmick to to get over the hump against Florida. And I think that's what it's going to take. You know, I see Florida's defense as being very good. But I think Auburn has just enough offensive, you know, nuance and maybe a, a blemish or, a, you know, a wrinkle that they have not seen yet. Um, and it'll get them over the hump. And I see Auburn winning this game in somewhere of the range of uh, 24, you know, 24-13, 24-16. Ugh, this game, uh, I here's what I'll do. Uh, I don't know who's going to win this game straight out. I'm going to take the under, though. 
I think this is going to okay. be a slugfest between two young QBs um, going at it. That you know, both these teams are undefeated. Uh, I think that I would take the under forty-eight and a half, which is a little surprising to me. That I, I mean, look, the the line, the money split. It's forty-four percent is bet on the under, fifty-five, fifty-six percent is bet on the over. And look, betting on the over is more fun. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to bet the over, to want the points to be scored at the end. But I think that this is a low-scoring, slug-it-out game. Uh, I think a mm-hmm. two-and-a-half-point line is very appropriate in this one. I think I would take Auburn, but I, I, I'm not going to tell you that I take Auburn with confidence. So um, I, I think I would take the under with some confidence in this game. But I don't know about picking this one flat out. I think I'd take Auburn, but that's just a gut feeling from what I've seen from both these teams this year. I don't have a ton of analysis behind it. So um, go ahead, Xavier. Also, I will end with this. Um, I think that this might be beat. And Florida fans are going to kill me, but it's fine. They kill me every year. Um <laughs> I think this begins to slide for the Gators. I had them going 9-3 and three to start the year. I think this is where it starts. I think you've got Auburn this week. You've got to go to Death Valley next week against LSU. And in a month's time, they play Georgia. I think this is where it happens. You know, you have a game in there with South Carolina that I think they'll, they'll win pretty comfortably. But I think this is – if they're going to pick up these three losses, it's going to be three out of their next four games. So sorry, Florida fans. I hope you enjoyed your, you know, 5-0 start. <laughs> That's uh, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter. Not at Bogman Sports and not CFB Winning Edge for that Florida take right there. So, uh, But that is going to wrap us up for today. Nick, tell everybody about the Patreon. Yeah, so if you'd like to support this podcast, uh, support the three of us and, and the work that we do, check us out at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, don't often do like a special offer or anything like that, but I think if you've made it this far in the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, uh, and since we're basically at the, at the beginning of the month of October, uh, wanted to offer something special. So tier two is really what I uh, think is is our best value. Um, we get a, a 130 FBS team profiles there that includes over 11,000 individual player ratings. We've got team ratings and positions and, and all sorts of stuff. And, and that's really where, I mean, that document is up on my screen all day, every day, making changes to injuries and depth charts and all that sort of stuff. So tier two really is, is where I think you get your money's worth on Patreon if you're interested in supporting us. So uh, what I want to do to uh, have a, a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up as a tier one patron, so five bucks a month, um, and that really just sort of helps us to cover some of the costs that are involved in uh, the podcast and the website and, and helps uh, fund some of our research projects in the off season and uh, helps with some data entry, all, all that sort of stuff. That That's what that goes toward. Um, but also uh, to, to sort of get you in the door and take a look at, at what we've got and what we think is really sort of our best uh, thing at those team profiles sign up as a, a new tier one supporter so if you've not been a, a patron before sign up for five bucks a month and and you'll get tier two access we'll give you uh that 15 dollars per month access so a little bit of a discount there and and really give us a, a chance to show you what we've got and and 
an opportunity to see where we're pulling all these numbers from. So uh, check us out, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Send a note, send a message uh, to us when you sign up something related to the podcast, you know, special offer or, uh, Xavier's wrong about Florida or, or whatever. So send, send a message and, uh, and that way we'll know that, that you listen to this and, and that's why you're signing up. So, uh, check us out and, uh, please do support this podcast and, and help us to be, uh, better in the future, uh, help fund some of the improvements we're hoping to make, uh, moving forward. Promo code is at Bogman loves pack 12. I repeat, Bogman loves <laughs> Pac-12. <laughs> ah, so much fun. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we appreciate every, everybody giving us a listen here, and uh, thank you so much. And check out the Patreon. It's a lot of fun, and good luck with your bets this weekend, everybody. Take it easy.